Guides in the Gulf. Here with Northern Territory Evening News. Yeah, breaking news. It's it, it's an official introduction, but we don't want to sound like we're being official. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. So how do we introduce? So we've already we've obviously already recorded it. Yeah. Righto. Yeah. Let's right. Just, so let's just go. so a few days a few days back we had uh, a special guest on for the for the podcast. Uh, he's a uh, local Northern Territory legend. Yep. He's a business owner or a family business owner. Yep. Uh, he does a lot for the community. Champion, all-around good guy. Yep. Yeah, Trent DeWitt. So um, we've just had him on and uh, we're going to make it into a special two-part episode because we couldn't fit all his goodness into one episode. <laughs> <laughs> so here it is, part one of Trent DeWitt. So you, you guys there, you have use a Catherine Game Fishing Club. Yeah, we've got the KGFC, yep. So and are you on the... Can we yeah, do that? I am, yeah. I'm public officer for you're that. The, you're the public officer for that, yeah, yep. Roger. Oh, yep. you know all about it then. Yeah, absolutely. No, no, and we, we work hard to try and grow that club as much as we can. Yeah. Our um, our biggest thing is fish for the future. Like, we want our kids and our kids' kids to be able to go out and catch a barra. Yeah. And so we are just constantly um, promoting anything we can do with the kids. Yeah. Um, we have a, a pretty big event, a kids' fishing fun day every year. Yeah. And that, um, you know, we get 100 kids there as well as parents and stuff. They get a shirt, they get a feed, and we do all these different stations. Yeah. So we do a filleting station, a mud crab cleaning station, knot tying, casting, um, uh, boat safety, a uh, little first aid station, just lots of different things that yep. just so they rotate through and, and get them used to doing different things. Yeah. So, yeah, no, it's good. It's a strong um, It's a strong club, actually. It's um, gone from strength to strength. It was, it was in dire straits um, quite a few years ago, and a, a few of the boys from town jumped on it and really turned it around. So. Yeah. Now we get what three fifty, four hundred sort of people to the to the big horse comp. Yep. At Tim McCree. And when do you do that? Uh, that's over the May Day long weekend. May Day, yep. Yeah. So because we have um, like obviously Easter weekends, our big comp here Easter weekend, but sometimes Easter gets obviously washed out, especially like this year Easter's early because obviously Easter's changes with the. Um, I think Easter's always like the third full moon from Christmas. I think so. It's um, yeah, like this year it's a bit earlier than. Yep. Than most yeah, most years. Yeah, late March. Yeah, so um, we plan to do everything Easter weekend, which is a big comp. Like we get 300-plus sort of participants in that. And then on the Sunday night here, we expand the bar area out, put up temporary fencing and everything like that. And then we have, you know, four-plus hundred people sort of thing in that. Yeah, nice. In the, in the area there. And, um, uh, yeah, it uh, usually goes pretty good, but uh, sometimes it's – rained out when it's early early in the you know it's still a wet season yeah. so sometimes it gets rained out and then we move it to i think the um june july long weekend we usually do um the kab challenge yep. which is like another east uh another uh weekend fishing comp uh it's our second biggest comp um but we swap those around basically if it's too wet to do the do our main comp on that easter weekend we swap it around we call that the king ash bay challenge then because we still obviously got some people here um, so we still run a comp, but it's just, yeah, substantially smaller than obviously Easter weekend. But Easter weekend is, is big, like, yep. you know, where I think last year we were up around about 80000 maybe maybe dollars sort of oh, yeah. thing in terms Price of cash and, cash and prizes. Yes. So um, we raffled a boat off last year. Um, yeah, we had like a, I don't know, four. Oh, you, you, next door to where you're staying pretty much, you would have seen, um, yeah, Pete's Pete won it there. Yeah, so, I'll um, see it in the shed there or stick it up. Yeah, it, yeah. Or, or, yeah, with a, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so um, 
this year we're going to do the same thing, um, but we're not going to do it for Easter weekend. We're going to do it um, uh, for Territory Day. Yeah. Because obviously Territory Day is another big day we have, um, not so much for a fishing comp, but um, Territory Day is like uh, one of our, yeah, it's our second biggest event anyway yeah, yeah. for the year. So we have a big celebration for Northern Territory Day and usually have a live band and, yeah, yep. have, you know, bloody, well, 300 plus people in the bar there that night. Usually, yep. usually have like a theme. I'm not sure. What, what are we, what's our theme this year? We, we've worked it out. Territory Night, uh, Christmas in July. Oh, it's Christmas in July this year, yeah. So it was last year, what did we do last year? It was Greece, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, like a fifties or something theme. Yeah. yeah, so everyone gets everyone gets involved. Yeah, everyone, everyone gets, gets dressed into up. It. Yeah, good. Bloody, um, yeah, everyone that's like all our members and stuff that live down south. You know, they're always asking. You know, what's what's going on this year? And yeah. um, they all buy their costumes and get organised for it. So nice. So yeah, it's a big no. big thing. So um, so big horses on. Um, yeah, it's on the May Day long weekend every year. The, yep. The problem with it, if you're a lure fisherman, is you don't get to choose the tides. Obviously, yep. being that it's on on uh, on May Day long weekend, live baiters are generally doesn't really matter. They have they have a pretty good time yep. regardless. But if you're a lure fisherman and you want to fish clean clean water and it and it's on a full moon weekend or something like that, it makes life pretty hard. Yeah, um, yeah. You have to sort of go back upstream from the river unless you're just going to sit in dirty water all day. Yeah. So that, um, yeah, it's not something you can pick, but it's just good because every couple of years you get some good tides where you're you're in with a chance as a lure fisherman and then. Pretty much, oh, a live baiter always wins the biggest bar. Yeah, yeah, and so that's the Big Horse Creek. That's on the Vic. Yeah, Timber Creek. Yeah, so 280 k's west of Catherine. Yep. In a township called Timber Creek, Victoria River. Um, it's one of the biggest and longest rivers in the NT. Yep. It starts way back down near the WA border um, and runs all the way out into the Gulf um, on the other side of the. Not your Gulf, different Gulf. Yeah, like the Joseph Bonaparte <laughs> Gulf. Yeah, exactly. Runs out there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's um, it's a magic river too. It's one of the um, most specky rivers you can fish. Eh? Yeah, it's absolutely beautiful. Yeah, it's some of the um, some of the rock shapes and stuff down there, you wouldn't think you're in the Northern Territory. Yeah, really, really special place. Yeah, it is um, it is surrounded by a um, Bradshaw training field. Yeah, defence base as well, which um, causes a few issues at the moment with uh, access to certain rivers and stuff like that. They've um, a few leases changed from pastoral to defence leases and and. We've lost a bit of access here and there, but we're working towards an agreement with those guys to sort of get us back in there for the big horse comp, which is yep. good. A lot of people like to fish a, a certain river there called the Angolari, yep. um, about 30 k's down the river. And because it heads into the um, the training base, you're not allowed in there. Um, yeah, so, so they close it down so they can obviously yeah. blow shit up. Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, <laughs> they, they do their um, – oh, they say they do their water landings and stuff there. They do a lot of um, – yeah. Waterborne um, training things. Um, I don't think they'd be doing any swimming in there. <laughs> they'd want to have a gun if they were swimming. But uh, yeah, no, it's 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 a bit of a difficult time. But we we're working with them. We're having really good um, positive conversations with them at the moment. Um, just with the fishing club alone, just to try and um, get the big horse back up open again into there. Yeah, just to get access for that over that weekend, Absolutely. so you can. Yep. Yeah. They had uh, big flooding in there, didn't they, just recently? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's only just come down now. Um, so I think there's a horde of Catherine people heading out this weekend to okay. go and fish the runoff down there. Um, it, it's only been up once, um, obviously, but it was flooded for quite a long time, which should fill up all them floodplains and, and any of those landlocked billabongs should be opened. So fingers crossed those people who head down this weekend should do all right. Yeah. Um, but as far as the big horse goes... Um, yeah, I mean, we 300 to, to 400 competitors, um, normally somewhere around 100 to 150 kids yep. um, are, are, make up those those 300 competitors. So it's pretty cool. Um, it's pretty awesome when, 
we have our presentation night and you sit all the kids down in front and you see how many there are. Yeah. It's it's such a strong, healthy um, thing for kids to be doing out fishing and to see them all there, it's really positive. Yeah. So, and that's what the club really does promote, just that fishing for the future and getting them young kids learning um, off people and getting mentored on, on some of the fishing ways. Yeah, yeah. So um, talk about the like the tides down there because obviously you've just been fishing here the last few days but before we get into that, like so if you – like obviously here our tides, like a big tidal movement here is like maybe three metres. Yeah, that would be like you'd get two big tides like that a year, like three metres of movement, yeah, yeah. that's huge here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's like a maximum but like um, – so over there like you've a lot different tides. Yeah, so we get a seven to eight metre – Tide, um, you know, and you might have a seven meter high in the morning, and then a point one of a low in the afternoon, and then <laughs> wow. midnight it's high again. Um, so that makes it a really difficult river to fish. Again, if you're a lure fisherman, yeah, because that water just stirs up so quick. So you really got to pick your tides there to know that. All right, if I'm going to lure fish, I need green water. So they need to be coming off the neaps. So I've got a bit of run, or yeah. right in the middle of the neaps. Um, otherwise. You're going to spend most of your time sort of fishing around the boat ramp, um, which is not a bad thing. There's a rock bar there called um, Last Chance, and it's <laughs> the last chance to fish on the way home. <laughs> and I reckon I've seen more big fish come out of there than anywhere. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just a – it's a live bait as heaven, though. There, there's um, – every corner is full of mullet. You can pull up, grab some bait, um, sit down with the kids under a bloody canopy there and, and soak some live baits and pick up salmon and dewies and – um, obviously decent bar in that as well. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of other spots to fish in it too, though. It's not just the Vic. Obviously, there's the Baines River, there's Bullo River. Um, it's just a really difficult river to navigate. Um, and how far is it from, like, the boat ramp to the mouth there? Um, I actually don't know the exact distance. It's a long way. I've been down there once with my old man. Must be 110. Yeah, so it's a long, long way. Like. Yeah, but it's really, really treacherous. It's rock bars or sandbars, rock bars, or both. sandbars, whirlpools. Yeah, um, oh, you know, I suppose big, big tidal movements. Big yeah. tidal movements, mate. Yeah, so you can hit like the river will hit a rock wall, turn left, and then go right again. And then as it hits that, there's a whirlpool there, and you've got to go through that, and navigate through, and you head out into the um, Joseph Bonaparte Golf then. And it's uh, yeah, it's a pretty specky place. I've never caught many fish down the mouth. I've only been there once or twice. Um, yeah. Just the tidal movements, even if it is neat, it's it's a scary place. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and uh, I don't. I mean, it's just always red down there. You know, we get really clean green water up around Timber Creek, but once you get down the river a bit and it starts to get on those shallow sandbars and that, it just yeah, yeah just red, dirty. Yeah, like like the river is here at the exactly moment. Exactly like the river here at the moment. You yeah, know? and for me, like yeah, I just don't even bother really looking for a bar and that sort of um, yeah, yeah water. Much the same as here, like when that water's real dirty as it is at the moment, unless you can find a creek that's running fresh, like clean water in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. This time of year, when you go to Tim Creek, it's going to be disgustingly dirty. Yeah. But they're all heading down looking for a runoff creek, any new um, billabongs that might have opened up and things yeah. like that. There's plenty of that opportunity there, especially um, when you when you look on Google Earth at um, the Vic, you can see over time where it's moved. Um, it's It's horseshoes are, are everywhere where it used to be the river and now it's not. Oh, so, now, so now it's made billabongs yeah, in so the now they're billabongs, and yeah. And wow. so, you know, when you have good wet seasons, it opens up those billabongs and yep. they'll run for a few weeks and all that bait will escape and obviously those barras sit there and just gorge themselves. Yeah. So is it similar to fish in the daily, you reckon, or is it... No, nah, completely nah, different. Different, different yeah. still, yeah. Yeah. No, the, the Vic is a... Um, if you think you've got it worked out one weekend, you'll remember those tides, you'll go back there and you won't catch a single yeah. <laughs> And that's why I really like it because it, it challenges you. You've always got to think, oh, geez, what am I going to do now? 
how am I going to find a fish? Where are they going to be? You know, they can yeah. be stacked up in the timber. Um, that's another big problem we have is trolling the timber, especially late in the build-up um, when that water's really salty and all those barnacles are growing on those trees. Yeah, yeah. You'll troll a lure through there. Um, you'll have one troll. You'll bring your lure up and your leader's completely fried. Yeah. And you, yeah. Won't, you didn't even get hit. And if you do get hit, you just get broken off. Yeah. It's um, Yeah, so it's a, definitely a tough place to fish. We sometimes make up some wire traces even just to fish through yeah. that timber just to try and get the fish out. So do you fish um, – do you get terrapin there as well? Yeah, yeah, definitely get a lot of terrapin, especially just up, up past the boat ramp in the fresher water. Um, yep. People use them. They'll just take them down and, and live bait them as well. So. Yeah, so terrapin for people who don't know is like, just like a freshwater prawn. It's yeah, like big a big freshwater prawn, good eating too. Yeah, yeah, we actually just spoke about going out and, and trying to get some here. There's some running here at the moment in the in the reeds and that around King Ash. So, um, but like people use that a fair bit for bait though, like on the daily and that hay. That was Absolutely, a, yeah. a fairly standard thing. Yeah, that's the main, the go-to on the daily is, is those um, cherubin because they're, they're just like a dinner bell for a barra. Yeah. Like if, they're, if they've got a hook through them and they're flicking yeah. as they do, when you when you grab hold of one, you'll see what I mean, just a big flick. Um, that just calls barra from all around to come and, come yeah. and buff them. And, yeah, I'm not, not too much of a bait fisherman, but it, it works really, really well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen those videos of like the daily um, at the crossing there when those cherubin are running. They are like just millions of them on the side creeping up the river. Yeah. Just, it's phenomenal. We were talking about yesterday, I was, I was, we were talking about, I saw a video on TikTok of someone throwing the cast net for them and they're just pulling in a cast net and had yeah. like a hundred of them yeah. in, in the cast net. I've, I didn't know they got that thick. Yeah, and the, the rope is the same. You go to the Roper bar and, and you'll see them there running really hard and you get huge ones at the Roper, absolutely yeah. huge ones. Yeah, it's see, we get them here, but not like not. I've never seen them. Not like in that. in lot, big quantities though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just different environment, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. the the, the Roper is such a long winding freshwater river, and and so is the Daly. Yeah, you know the Daly starts way back up, um, sort of east of Catherine. Yeah, you know, yep. and then where the headwaters of it. So whatever we get, the Daly get. So yeah, because um, the Catherine flows in the Catherine River flows yeah. straight into the Daly. <laughs> yeah, the Catherine. Catherine, as well as the Ferguson, the Edith, the Cullen, the Flora, um, lots of them all become the Daly River. So when you drive over that big bridge in Catherine, that, all that water's going to the Daly. Exactly. Yeah, yep. awesome. Yep. Yeah, it's about, I think it's um, oh, it's two days worth of, um, of time. So when yeah. we get a sort of surge two days later or something like that, I think they see it. It starts running into the Daly. Yeah, they yeah. see it down there not, not too long after. Yeah, it's 12 hours from the Catherine, uh, some, the gorge to the Catherine Bridge yeah, for yep. water to run. So we'll see a surge on the... On the um, the metering gauge at, at uh, Nipmaluk and then we'll get the water and then not long after the daily we'll pick it up as well. Yeah. Yeah, because like I grew up out at um, past it. I never fished in the daily. Um, never, I don't think I've ever even been on the daily. But back in the day, I, like we used to go across that causeway there and go out to um, Port Keats. Like I grew up at Port Keats. Nice. Yep. I used to fish like the moils. Have you ever been out of that country at all? Um, absolutely. Yeah, I had a few friends that were um, builders and stuff out there and lucky enough to get out there and do a bit with them, um, especially with the TOs that can take you out to a few special spots. It's, yeah. It's pretty cool. Yeah, that's such an untouched place, um, all of that wad eye and, and all that country out there. It's plenty of good fishing. Um, you just need to be have permission to be there i suppose yeah yeah that's that's obviously that's the biggest thing is is access but people that go there to work or are lucky enough to get a permit to go there that know somebody or or whatever they can get in there that um those moil rivers the little moil big moil or like uh, chindi yep. is a little moil yeah um and that red cliff area because barra fishing obviously is unreal there like the the um 
the floodplain came like Slim Dusty wrote a song about it, you know, about the catching barras, <laughs> uh, you know, on the Moyle River. So, um, like, I caught my first barra there, you know, my missus caught her first barra there, my brother caught his first barra there. Like, um, yeah, it's a pretty special spot for us. Yeah. Uh, but then it's not just barra too. Like, you get out the front there and then you fish like that. I think Emu Reefs, that might be closed off now. I'm yeah, not sure. Yeah, there's some protection areas there you have to be careful of. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, no, it's such a good area to, to be able to go and fish. And it's getting quite popular with um, with motherships and that from Darwin or people doing extended trips. Yeah. Um, you know, it's another thing you find these days with the boats getting bigger, fuel tanks getting bigger, all that. They're pushing further and further for longer periods of time. You know, they can really self-sustain on a boat for four or five nights. So it opens up so much area for them to go and fish. Yeah. We spoke a little bit about boats um, a couple of episodes back. Um, we spoke about sort of the ideal territory barrow boat. I suppose the territory's a um, – it's a place where, like, boat design is probably a, a little bit ahead of a lot of places in terms of these sorts of um, these sorts of boats. So what, what do you reckon is a, a good – like for people that are looking at buying a boat maybe or getting a boat built what's your what's your sort of perfect boat like if you if you could you know money's no no problem just uh pick whatever you wanted what what do you reckon you'd do because we spoke a different like about um like poly glass alley uh, you know all yeah. these different things so there's so many options available now there's a million different boat brands out there but yeah it's a bloody hard question <laughs> yeah because uh the, the thing is there's not there's not one suited for everything like, yeah you know, if you want to go and smack some blue water fishing, well, realistically, you, you can't do that in a barra punt. Yeah. Um, but if you if you want to go and catch barra, well, you can't do that in a eight mil or nine meter blue yeah. water boat. So, for me, like, um, we run the um top enders, center console top enders. My yeah. old man and I got one of them. Absolutely love them, center console. So you can sleep two people down beside either side of the console on a stretcher, yep. and the stretcher gets you up level with the deck, so yep. that you get a nice breeze. Um. And as you said, you go to any upholster or anything, um, you know, in the NT and they'll make you a mozzie net and a rain cover in, in a heartbeat, yeah. you know, and that's – it's um, probably a bit weird for someone from south thinking about that, but <laughs> that's what you've got to do. You'll get chewed by mozzies otherwise. But, yeah, for me, it, <clears throat> it's something convenient that I can go up the creeks with and then if you pick your weather right, you know, somewhere like King Ash, you can bring out a, a five-and-a-half-metre top ender. Yeah. And you can go out around the islands. You've just got to be looking at forecasts and yeah. and watching what's going on, obviously. But, yeah, I'm quite lucky. I've got – like, my brother's got a, a huge nine-metre um, Noble, um, Noble Super V. And yeah. so when we want to go wide, we, we don't have to worry too much about it. Yeah. Um, we try and pick the days so it's not as bad. But, um, yeah, so we have the, the punts for in the rivers and a little bit of blue water and then we we got that bigger fella to go out wherever we want to. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's plenty of room to sleep on as well. So you, you've just done a trip here now, um, and you're in your mate's boat. Yeah, so in, I'm in with Brad Inglis from Sturt Plains. Um, him yep. and I, yeah, share a similar passion for fishing. Um, we, we're not much of a bait fisherman. Um, we really like to challenge ourselves on trying to find what those fish are eating. Um, you know, if you can spot them on the sounder and, and try to coach them into to taking whatever you're dropping on them, then you know you're doing your, your job. I reckon, which is pretty yep. good. Um, when it is slack, don't get me wrong, we will put on bait if we've if we've absolutely jigged till there's no tomorrow. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so we came out a few days ago and we were lucky enough to get out around the islands and, and go out wide and, and just find some reef and stuff like that and drop down and we get some good goldies and good nannies. Um, didn't find a red emperor this trip, but, um, yeah, we we really enjoy using um, just small um, Jabber's Moxie Metal jigs, just small... Yep. Jigs that you drop down and you just twitch them up and down, mate, and the, the fish seems. These ones they flutter down. Yeah, they yeah. flutters exactly. Yeah, the the one we were testing is actually a, a um, has a keel on one side. Yeah, 
So as it drops down, it just displaces itself and it and it swaps down and geez, they weren't even hitting the bottom and they were chewing them off. Hey, yeah, I've seen that you put a couple of videos up there, mate. Yeah, we're <laughs> getting we're doing, up. doing a bit of testing and those um those rods. I don't know that video I put up. It's a five piece travel rod. Yeah. So the thing packs up, you know, under a meter. Tiny, yeah, tiny, yeah. mate. You know, and it goes under the front of your boat. Um, no longer do I travel with rods in my Hilux, in my seat, or yep. in the boat or anything like that. They're literally under the hatch of the front of the boat. Yep. They're not getting trodden on. They're not getting broken. When I get there, I pull them out, put them together, away you go. Yep. You know, and you can take them in your carry-on. You can send them around Australia. They're just really, really convenient and strong. And you can get them in a couple of different, like if people want like spin gear or... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so um, like I use uh, one called the Trigger Man. Um, it's about a 20-pound rod little 3000 Stella and yep. I absolutely love it because it gives me um, the full sensitivity of what's going on with the jig but also when I load it up you know I can really put some hurt on them and, and you don't think that when you're when you're holding it you go geez this thing's gonna break but when you when you give it to it it holds up I haven't broken one yet yeah, um, yeah. thankfully and I've tried we've put them <laughs> put them through the test because you know we're in the shop we want to sell them and but I want to know that if I'm giving this to someone yeah it's gonna hold up to them you know so um, Brad likes to use a, a Wonderlust, which is an overhead one. He uses yep. a 300 Tranks with an oversized handle on it, and yep. that's what he jigs with and absolutely loves it. Yeah, they, you can use them in the creek, though, to catch barra, and then you can go out and drop them for, for a dewy or for a redfish or whatever you're targeting. Yeah, which is something, I suppose, that's, um, again, we've spoken about gear a few, a few times now, but that's something like... Um, sounds like a good all-rounder, so you can, uh, yeah, you can go do that. Like, you can go... go you know, coastal creeks chasing barras and jacks or whatever, but then all of a sudden the, the weather prediction's stuffed up as normal and it's... Yeah, your a, plan's changed throughout yeah, the day. Yeah, it's, yeah. Ca- it's calm right. It's a glass off and you think, geez, I'm, I'll run into that spot 10Ks out and, yeah. bloody, uh, and exactly. hit that. And the good thing about them is, though, is you don't have to have 10 rods standing on your console or anything yeah. like that. But under the front of the boat, you can have 6 to 10 rods under the front yeah, because um, they, they pack down into they a pack small down, case. Yeah, then yeah. you've just got your little reels there. So if weather conditions change, as you say... Well then, off you go. You can you can pull out what you want, and it can be the other way too. You know, you can be offshore and a big storm blows up. Oh well, we've got to head to the creek. At least you can use that smaller stuff in the creek as well. Yeah, yeah. Which you happens out here a lot. We got smashed by a couple of good storms. <laughs> oh. <laughs> that, that's a good thing about here, though. Like, there's so many different options. Like, um, you can go. Yeah, like we've got several thousand kilometers of creek system. You know, throughout the delta, and that's just the start of it. Like, it's insane, mate. Even just boating around, you just your mind boggles, and you just go, "Oh, they could be there. They could be there." It just it just never ends. You yeah, just, everywhere you stop has the potential to find fish. Um, you know, and that's the the good thing about King Ash Bay and those islands. It's just it's amazing the amount of species that are out there and how many there is. Just, yeah, you know, yeah. around every corner there's a there's a hole with a exactly yeah I get people messaging me all the time asking for spots like GPS coordinates yeah, and that yeah but like I don't really have spots on my on my sounder like it's just it's so much especially when you're at the islands that it's just reef and and interesting looking ground everywhere yeah. like it's it's just covered covered with it and. When you're looking for spots, are you using your side scan or your down scan? Oh, look, I'm not. When it, I'm pretty tech savvy with a lot of things, but when it comes look to my, my sound, sound, is what he's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's sneaking I'm, in I'm, I'm, uh, I'm way behind when it comes to using my sounder. Yeah, I'm. I'm not really using side. I try and use side scan, but you see these beautiful buttery images that people upload of like you can see the perfect outline of a barramundi and that with mine, it just looks like pixelated rubbish. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> a. Um, 
that's a problem that we see a lot is that he, you got to be realistic about it. Those guys are professionals yeah. who are paid to tune that sounder to every fine detail, you know, and they'll, they'll spend 10 minutes on a screenshot tuning it to get that picture right. Yeah. So, you know, people shouldn't be upset if they can't see a barramundi on their feet, on their sounder or yeah. um, they can't see the outline of a snapper or something, you know. What you're looking for on those side scans is just grains of rice. Yeah. yeah. We just want to see grains of rice with some shadows beside it um, and, you know, quite easily – if you're poking along with your side scan, you'll pick up a shelf, you know, yeah. because you've just got to think that your side scan is like having a torch shining down off the back of your boat yeah. on a nice angle. So if it hits something here, it's going to make a shadow beside it. Yeah. And, and with the fish, that's all you're looking for. Yeah. So people shouldn't be too disheartened if they're not getting this perfect picture of a barra because it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah. You know, one out of 100 little scans over a, um, a piece of timber, you might get a barra there. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, but they, they definitely come in handy, um, the side scan, especially out here because you just don't, like you say, Mike, you don't need GPS coordinates. Yeah. You just put your side scan out and uh, have, a, have a beer while you poke along and all of a sudden you'll come across a lump and you turn around and you, you put your electric down or you drop your anchor on it and you do a few jigs and if there's something there, if not, keep moving. So yeah. you, when, when you're out, are you looking for fish on the structure or are you just looking for structure? We're looking for fuzz on the structure. Okay. So we'll have the... We'll have the um, the sounder set up with a GPS on one, a down scan on the other, and the side imaging on one. And so as we're just poking along, we'll be side scanning. If we see a nice shelf, we'll mark it, we'll spin around, and just as we float over the top of it, we'll look for that structure coming up on the down scan, so your traditional sonar, yeah. and then we'll look for a blue line on top of that. Yeah. And that blue line generally indicates fish or bait or weed or whatever it is, but that's mm. what we've found holds the fish. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we don't often – every now and again you'll get a big stack of fish. You'll see them stacked up. Yeah. You yeah. know, the, the goldies will stack up like that. But rarely do you, you sort of see them. And for what you catch, when you see that little bit of fluff, um, the fish that come off that's pretty amazing. Like mm. you, don't, you don't see them too much on the sounder, but they're there. They're thick. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's our main thing. Just And, you know, usually if we find one or two fish, well, while we're filleting one or two, we'll – someone else is just idling along looking for new ground have another look yeah yeah we, we we're firm believers in um not like flogging a spot to death like yeah we can go yeah. to a spot where we've caught fish sit there and jig till our heart's content and catch everything there but you catch a good nanny you catch a good goldie go and look for new ground yeah because you're just you're putting just another string in your bow for later on when another spot's not working yeah um so we're just constantly looking for for new ground and the amount of GPS coordinates and stuff now, it gets a bit confusing out there. But, <laughs> you know, the tracks the tracks tell you a story as well, you know. You'll see yeah. the drift lines and whatnot. So, yeah. And do you, do you, so you're not anchoring up much? You're just drifting? Yeah, rarely anchoring up. Um, just drifting across. And with the jigs, you've got to be careful you don't get snagged if it's yeah. a bit of a rocky bottom. But you'll find, you know, if you if you get the, the drift right, um, it takes you one or two goes to figure out which way you're going. You drift over the top and you just twitching those little jigs as you're coming across and you'll come up onto the thing, all of you will hit a fish and then in a couple of seconds it's all over. Yeah. And then so, you know, you've, you've just got them sitting right on that lump. You'll find yeah. where they are. And so what sort of um, – so you've just been out here now because we, we talk about it a fair bit, um, how different it is here compared to a lot of places in terms of the, the water depth. Like here, you know, 20 metres I suppose is, is deep water here. So are you fishing that sort of that sort of level? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So a big suggestion I'd I'd say to people like if they're looking to try and find 
fish, um, you know, anywhere, doesn't matter where you are, whether you're out off Dundee or um, here in the Gulf, is to get yourself the Navionics app. Yeah. That has um, all your contour lines and stuff on it. It shows you depth changes. Yeah. You know, and so you're looking for a metre or two change. Um, you want it pretty instant. And yeah. And if you can find a metre or two of water change in the Gulf of Carpentaria, you're going to catch fish on it pretty yeah. much. Like that's just a given. So, you know, if you look above West Island and – and out off Urquhart and stuff like that, and you look at those um, those lines that are there, and when they get closer together, that's when they're changing quicker. Yeah. You mark it on your Navionics, go for a look, sound around, and you'll generally find a fish there. Yeah, that's one good thing about here is, like, you can – yeah, it doesn't matter really which way you go, you, you know – Anywhere you go, there's going to be fish there. Yeah. Just, just got to put some time in and, and have a look. And you're probably better off, you know, spending more time um, actually driving and looking for spots rather than actually just pulling up and trying everything. You're better off just driving around and actually looking for, for yeah. good areas, you reckon? And, and it's a hard thing too because the tides out here, you know, you can pull up on a rock wall, um, you know, just be cruising past it and go, oh, gee, that looks a bit fishy. Mm. You can pull 20 or 30 bar off it. Yeah. And yeah. then you can go back there in a week or two's time and there's nothing there at all. Yeah. And that's just those fish, you know, swimming with the tide, moving with the bait, doing their thing. Um, put it in your memory bank, but it's, yeah, it's sort of um, sometimes you just be Johnny on the spot with it. Yeah. Yeah, certainly like we've got a couple of spots like at Crocodile Point Way and that, like Mikey did a video the other day out there and got a good dewey in that, like a metery dewey in yeah. that. And good Goldie and that, like, but we've been out there before and we've just absolutely nailed it, like, in four metres of water and we've got, like, I don't know, we had, like, six people on the boat and everyone's got two jewies on yeah, at the same yeah. time, like, like <laughs> yeah. but then, then you, you go back there the next time and not a, not a thing, yeah, you know, so. Yeah, sharks and catfish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that, that happens so much, you know, like, we, we can have such good trips and then, geez, we can have some terrible ones, you know, like, people yeah. need to realise that. Not, not every trip's a good one, but it's good if you're just out fishing. Like, um, you know, even the, the last few days we've had out here, we had two, two good days of fishing. We woke up on the third day, um, massive storm rumbling, <laughs> blew the boat up onto the beach, and we were on the beach for four hours sitting there waiting to go again, you know, because we, we just – the storm got us good. And then, um, you know, and things – bad things will happen like that and you just got to take it in your stride and um, – you're also going to make mistakes, you know, while we were out there fishing. Um, we were doing a bit of uh, – with the side scan again, you know, just um, scanning some rocks and stuff like that around the headlands, only in about five or six metres of water. And then we went out off further off the coast and um, started to use our side scan just looking for a bit of reef fish or something like that. And as as we put down the, um, the side scan, all we can see is just cloud. There's nothing on the side scan. Yeah. And we've gone, geez, we've – We've smacked the transducer on a rock or, mm. or something like that. It's not working, you know. So Brad jumps in the water with the sharks, <laughs> crocodiles in the NT to check the transducer. <laughs> so he swam around the back of the boat and he's had a look. There's no cracks. There's nothing visually wrong with it. Um, back in the boat and we just go, oh, well, we don't know what's wrong with it. We tried to turn it on and off, you know, all, all the standard stuff and um, couldn't get it to work. So we spent the whole day without using our side scan. We just used the down imaging. Still found fish with the down imaging and that. As we've come back into the um, to the coast, it started working again, and we just went, "Oh, there must have been something caught around it." I don't know. We we just left it at that, and then the next day we woke up back out blue water again. As we're leaving um, where we were sleeping, it's working fine. Get out in the blue water; it's not working again. And I have a look over, and he's got it zoomed in. <laughs> <on> the- <laughs> <laughs> he's got it zoomed in. 
<laughs> to six meters <laughs> and the water's you know 20 to 25 meters deep <laughs> that so. old chestnut <laughs> <laughs> so you know and that's i suppose it's just it's you've got to bring a bit of um a bit of laugh to it as well like it's you yeah know, you're gonna make mistakes and it's good fun to do that and um, it yeah. happens though. Like oh, that, that, mate, it, it's, it's, su- it's such an easy thing to do. It's like something silly like that being zoomed in. Yeah. Same thing. Like I've, I've fixed sounders for people. They go, oh, my GPS isn't working, but it's because they've touched the screen and it's stuck. You know, with stuck a cursor here. on it somewhere. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm like, no, no, no. Just press escape, Russ. And <laughs> get I've out a, of it. I got a same, same but different one. Remember where we saw a heap of cattle on the so- on the side of the river, and oh. I, I got the drone up to go. We want to have a look. I'm like. <laughs> I can't see him, man. I'm flying over there. Going, man, I'm looking right on my screen here. The, the cattle are not there. And as you stand on the boat, I can see them there. Like, what, what's going on? I'm like, oh, I'm on the other side of the river. <laughs> I was on the wrong side of the river. <laughs> took off and went the wrong way. 180 degrees the wrong direction. Uh, okay. Yeah, okay. But, yeah, like I, I um, helped a bloke out um, uh, earlier no, last year with uh, with his boat. Because I'm at the front of my place and I'm doing something in my boat, getting organised to go to work and um, – I can hear the guys next door and there's stuff around. Like we can hear this engine turning over, turning over, turning over, and it's brand new. Uh, yeah, brand brand spanking new boat. And um, I'm like, oh, it's you know, it's my my own business sort of thing. And then my neighbour comes over and goes, oh, my old mate's got some dramas. He can't get his engine going. I've been helping him with it, but can't get it going. I said, what sort of engine is he? he goes, oh, it's a Yamaha. I said, ah, oh, no, wait, it'll be something simple for sure, hundred percent, mate. I've never seen one that turn over and not start. So um, go over and have a look and he's, yeah, nah, I can't get fuel pressure up or something. I don't know what's going on. I've had it half pulled to bits. And I just looked over and said, is that kill switch always been disconnected on that thing there, Russell? <laughs> <laughs> he just looked at me and shook his head. He's like, you're joking. I just can't. No, and I'm not. He's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. And he'd like, he had a like a big truck, like a... F three fifty or no, like a Chevy or something, like dual dual wheel, like yep. three fifty Chevy or something, and um, yeah, he'd been down the boat ramp, backed the boat in, launched it, parked the car, walked back down to the boat, <laughs> jumped in it, tried to start it for an hour down there, couldn't get it going, so then had to walk back in his car, pull it back on the trailer, <laughs> go to the shop. The shop said, "I'll come back this afternoon. We're flat out." So he's there stuffing around with it for a couple of hours, and yeah, it was as simple just as kill switch, just yeah. the kill switch wasn't <laughs> yeah. plugged in. Like, I know that no. What sort of swearing we got on here? Oh, no, whatever. No <laughs> cups. There's no stories. You know? Yeah, 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 that's it, mate. <laughs> there's, uh, yeah, they're the, they're the ones you remember when you um, when you make a mistake. They're the good trips, and I've done several. But a little forty horsepower Yammy with a fuel tank, plug it on, priming it, and not priming real well. Anyway, it should start. It's a Yamaha. It always starts. Pulling the thing for about half an hour until I realised I'd put the fuel line on backwards. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's another another good trick too. Doing that or or. Uh, or yeah, the the engine will cut out when you're going down the river and you haven't released the uh, the, the, the valve, breather. Yeah, and the tank's just sucked oh, itself yeah. in. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a fairly common one. So, so yeah. you from Catherine? Um, obviously, you um, rod and rifle um, tackle world in Catherine. Yeah, yeah. So family owned um, um, fishing shop there, mate. It's been in my family for about 38, 40 years. Um, it's been going since '79. And if anyone's ever been to Catherine, it um, and you've been into the Woolies supermarket there. There's a Brumbies there and a Smoke Mart. Yeah. It actually used to be in that uh, in the Brumbies oh, wow. to Smoke Mart. Oh, really? That's where the shop it, – it was actually down the end of the street first um, where there's another shop at the moment. It started there and then it moved into Woolies and that's where my old man was a, um, a Woolies manager and so he used to go across to that place at uh, at his lunchtime in Smoko, spend all the time looking around the fishing shop, end up buying into it. Yeah. So he left Woolies and him and mum bought into it um, yeah, when it was at where Brumbies and, and that smoke mart is now, that was all one shop all joined together. Yeah. 
And then, yeah, I think 2003 it might have been. He, um, yeah, he took the big leap and he moved it to where we are now um, on Giles Street there. Yeah. And, and that was a pretty scary thing for him. I remember him saying that he wasn't sure how it was going to go and that. But, yeah, it was one of the best decisions he ever made, he said. So, yeah. And it was definitely a busy shop. Oh, always. Yeah, mate. It's, it's, we, we love it. It's, um, it's easy to, um, to go to work when you enjoy what you do what you, know? you do like, yeah, yeah like selling fishing gear and talking to tourists and stuff like that it's just what we like to do um you know especially trying to share um the territory with them like making sure that they see as much as they can in the time that they're here and, yeah and you know try and uh, ignore some of the bad stuff we're always going to have um issues you know we're not um we're a pretty resilient little town we, we get a fair few dramas as well but as far as that goes like it's such a magic little place and the, the shop itself is um gone from strength to strength you know we we've got um smokers and um barbecue stuff now and yeti and we've got guns and ammunition and we sell push bikes and fishing yeah, gear, and you, gear you've got a big the big social media following and uh, of uh maybe last year you put up a video of setting up out the front like a time lapse yeah and yeah. all the stuff you set up every day and pack it all up every day yeah, yeah there's the amount of stuff you got there yeah so incredible. For, the, for the dry season it's about a 30 30 minute setup yeah. um to set it up and then it's 30 minutes to pull it down but the thing is we've just reached capacity we can't we can't stock any more stuff you know we want to we want to put more in, so we just have to put it on the footpath. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, for, yeah, for people that don't know, that don't know Catherine, haven't, haven't been there before, so basically you sh- your shop's there and then you, you're bringing out – when you open up in the morning, you're bringing it, like eskies and push bikes and smokers yeah. and all that sort of stuff out and put it on the front the There's front, about um, 35 then. bikes, I reckon. We wheel yeah. in and out every day <laughs> and um, 15 or 20 eskies and we go smokers and swags and we just put tents on display and rooftop tents and yet – Look, it takes a while and luckily it's a dry season so we don't have to worry about rain. But, um, yeah. you know, it just lets us display so much more stuff and people actually get to see what, what you've got, you know. When you you have it buried in a corner somewhere, it's pretty hard to sell it. So. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's got to be got to be visible. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the market these days with soft plastics and lures, it's just evolving so quick, you know. Every every man and his dog is doing their own soft plastic or yeah. their own hard body and, and, you know, someone will catch a big fish on them and, and it'll go hard on social media for a while. And if you don't have it, well, you won't sell it. You yeah. Know? So you got to continually, you know, follow what's new and what's trending and what's working. Um, there's still the old staunch stuff that just, you know, a barra classic. You just, yeah. a gold bomber, you're never going to ever not catch a barra on one. If there's yeah. one there, yeah, yeah. you know. But, yeah, you've got to be on, on the ball with all this new stuff these days and the type of jig heads and stuff that you need. And Yeah. So do, do, you, do you agree with the, um, the adage that... Uh, the lures are made to attract fishermen, not fish. Oh, 100 percent, mate. Yeah. <laughs> you, you see some of their eyes light up when they walk in there, and they just don't know where to start. Yeah. And sometimes I don't know where to start either. I look there and go, "Oh, geez, uh, my tackle box, you know, I got all of this in it, and I just don't know." You know, you need just need the basics, I suppose. Like that's a that's probably a tip for a lot of people is just start small. Um, you know, someone will come into the shop and want to get into fishing. I don't want to sell them a, a three or four hundred dollar rod and reel yeah. straight up. It's not. It's not what we want to do. We want to get you a combo for you know a hundred bucks and a few lures and that, and see if you enjoy fishing. Yeah. And then and then yep. from there it's like right. Oh, well, that's a spare rod now. You go and invest some money in it. You know? Yeah. And, and just start small, packet of soft plastics, gold bomber, a couple of little hard bodies, and and that's where you need to start for if you want to chase a barra anyway. Yeah. But have you got a favourite favourite for for barra fishing? Ah, oh, I love the jackal. Yeah, yeah, yeah those, they're good. Those little seventy nine jackals, and because yeah. the, they're a suspending lure yeah, too, yeah, suspending as well. So yeah, so for people that don't know, they they um, you know, if you if you 
pulling that through the water, it won't float back to the surface. It'll just sit there. Yeah. So um, one thing you have to be careful of with a suspending lure is to not really troll it. So places like the Vic, if we're trolling the timber, we want a floating lure because as we're going through the, the timber, we're twitching our rod. It's hitting the timber, hitting the timber. If it gets stuck, you drop your rod tip back and the lure will float up over it and yep. keep going. And with a jackal or a suspending lure, it's just going to hit and it's going to stay. And stay there. And then yep. you've just lost. 29 bucks or whatever because <laughs> yeah, yeah they're, they're not the cheapest lures <laughs> no going. they're not no so they're definitely they're a good casting lure um but they work on on everything you know around rocky headlands you'll pick up jacks with them queenfish will destroy them and so will barra salmon all that sort of stuff they'll they'll pick them up pretty easy yeah yeah and no, i think they're um yeah they're one of my favorites too but i don't have too many of them because they are like one of the more expensive ones but i think um growing up like oh, we just had gold bombers like, yeah. Open, yeah open the tackle box it was mate. just fishing yeah. like the moil and stuff like that in the floodplain country because you only shallow water anyway and just just cast and retrieve everything was just gold bombers and they, but they work so well still mate you know even the other day I, um two days ago i caught a, a bar on a, on a gold bomber yeah because it's my go-to thing when you put on it's just they they, they seriously work so well yeah, um, and they don't have a specific place. You know, a lot of people ask, "What's the what's the one lure that's going to catch me a barrel?" Well, that's the one that's going to give you the most chance to catch a barrel. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, nothing's guaranteed, but that's that's the one that's going to help you out the most. You were um, talking about uh, you're stocking smokers now, um, and that, that triggered a memory that that's obviously another passion of yours. Oh, mate, I love yeah smoking, mate. Yeah, is, um, yeah. I did a did a trip around the states with the wife um, when we were a bit younger and. Spent six months sleeping in our car at Walmart car parks and all that sort of stuff and um, tried every sort of smoke meat we could get our hands on. And then when I got back to Australia um, and sort of went back and, and started working at the shop with mum and dad, looked around to try and buy one, but there wasn't really anywhere that, that sold smokers. It wasn't a wasn't a thing yet. Um, so I got onto Traeger and, and become a dealer for them and I reckon I sold one in about two years and it was to myself <laughs> <laughs> initially. But once uh, once we started cooking a bit of a feed on them and, and putting it on for people and they were like, oh, geez, this is this is all right. And, and now we, um, yeah, we we pump through some the smokers now and, and it's all about just cooking that um, the meat for a really long, slow period. Yeah. So a beef short rib, you know, you can put that thing on at um, six in the morning, it'll be ready by six at night, but it'll just fall apart. It's it's really good. Um, pulled pork, pulled lamb, they're just amazing um, on, on a burger and stuff like that. And we we enjoyed it that much that the wife and I even started a little um, a little takeaway business as well on the side yeah. where um, during the dry season we, we set up a little pop-up stall and, and um, we do a, a big burger box and... You know, the one thing I said to her is that, you know, I'm a big fellow. I like to eat a lot. Yeah. And, yeah. and I like to get value for money. So when I when I buy something, um, I want it to, to make me feel sick at the end of it. Yeah. And I'll <laughs> get away. So, you know, I just said to her, Let, let's just do it and fill these boxes up so people just go, that is a disgusting amount of food. There's <laughs> <laughs> like something we could be into. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, we do that during the dry and it, it's great fun. And we really enjoy it. And, and, it's and a, so you sell out every time. Uh, uh, mate, yeah. So I... I do about a hundred kilos of meat now for it, and <laughs> it's it's normally around an hour and a half to two hours, and we're we're done, um, you know. And that's anywhere from sort of seventy rib bones, three or four hundred chicken wings, um, oh about <laughs> you know, oh, twenty twenty five kilos of pulled pork, pulled lambs, the same. Um, so yeah, we we plow through it, and a couple of hundred bread rolls, and. Um, I think we're doing about 32 kilos of chips in that time. <laughs> you know, I started with this little deep fryer that I bought off, bought off the internet and 
um, I was like, oh, Jesus, this will do the job, you know. And <laughs> the first night, we just got slammed. I was embarrassed with, with what we did because, <laughs> like, I was like, I just shouldn't have advertised. I should have just opened it up and, and done just a little Just give it a go. Yeah, like, test run, yeah. And it was just a shambles, you know. So we now have a commercial deep fryer and all this stuff and I've got a whole commercial kitchen at my house. I just never, yeah. thought, never thought it'd be something that I'd be doing, but... You know, we, we, we love it. It's it's good fun and you meet lots of good people and it's pretty hectic for a, for a few hours but it's just something else um, for Catherine as well. Just yeah. adds another. Where do you do we set it up at the shop or? No, nah, so no? I started there, Mikey, actually. Yeah, we started in front of the shop just because it was easy. You know, there was power there and, and, and there's kitchen upstairs so you can um, prepare a bit of food here and there. And um, it moved to the council. Catherine Town Council does a... Um, a food van collective night now beside the cinema in the car park. There's an empty car park there and they get about four or five different food vendors there that turn up now. Um, they do it for six nights a week, I think. Yeah, wow. Um, so, yeah, we set up set up there and um, and it's good. It, it We have a line that's um, – I mean, some people are there. Like we start serving at six. Um, I get there at about five to set up and people are helping me set up because they want to be first in line. <laughs> <laughs> So they're there and, and yeah, like I, um, my sister-in-law waited in the line one day um, just for the hell of it to see what it was and she was there for an hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, that's not what I wanted to do um, initially. Like I didn't want there to be a line. I just wanted to pump through food and just get it out and, and people enjoy it. But obviously it's it's quite popular and it's worked out well. So, you know, it's a, a sign of what we're doing, I suppose. Yeah, that's it. I suppose that's a... Um that's just one of the things that happens when you're doing something you enjoy doing. You know, people, other people can see you enjoy it, and and if you enjoy doing, it, you you do it well, and and then that um, that comes across for people, I suppose. Is um, yeah, like they, they they can see you enjoy it, so they enjoy it as well, and get get amongst it. Yeah, but you 100%. do a fair bit at the shop too. Like you do, like quite often. You know, anyone that's driven through there in the dry season, see you all, quite often got the smoker going out the front and got something on the go. Yeah, well, and that. I- like goes back to what I said before. Like I just don't feel like I go to work. Yeah. Like yep. I just go to a place every day, and it's like, ah, oh, geez, I got some bloody beef in the freezer. I might get it out. We'll smoke it up, and we'll have a beef burger for lunch or something like. So, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just, if you enjoy what you do, it's easy. And and so we just try to smoke a bit of meat for people. We'll put on a sausage sandwich, or we'll do a pig on the spit, or just something to, um, you know. It's all about improving the livability of Catherine for me. You know, like the yeah. shops are a side part of that, but I live there and my kids are going to grow up there, you know, and, and I just want it to be the, the best place it can be. And by doing um, these little things makes people hang around a bit more, you know. And, yeah. Um, it tries to outweigh some of the negative stuff. So Yeah, yeah. that's it because obviously there's, there's been some negative headlines stuff. We don't need to talk about that. that nah, there's, definitely there's, there's, um, But, you know, that's uh, that's something that you're doing there that um, certainly I've seen um, social media and stuff has been um, fairly big for you, like, um, you know, all, and all the different things that you're involved in, like, um, uh, you know, Christmas time, uh, you know, you got the bloody um, little oh, yeah. train set up yeah. and, and all that sort of stuff. Like it takes a, you know – like a lot of work to get that sort of stuff up and going, mate. Like, how do you go with that? Because it seems like you've got like a full time job outside of work, just doing stuff for the community. Like, your fishing comps and stuff's one thing, but that like that's sort of part of your business as well as obviously fishing. But all the other stuff that you're doing as well, like, there's a lot of stuff there. Like, um, I seen something the other day. You um, another group that you you're in. You're having an AGM for or having a meeting for the other day. Um, like the pro, is it what was it? Catherine yeah, the Progress? Catherine Community Projects Association. Yeah. So that one actually started out from um, oh, three or four years ago. Um, there was not even a Christmas tree in the town. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm um, not a religious person or anything like that, but I, yeah. I just really Christmas time is 
is a cool time of year, you know. Yeah. Like it's it should be every kid should um, be able to enjoy Christmas, even though it's stinking hot in Catherine. It <laughs> should still feel like Christmas, you not, know. Not exactly snowing, but no, yeah. not exactly snowing. But yeah, like there wasn't even a, a, um, a, a tree in the town. There was no lights up or anything like that. So I rang one of my mates and I said, "Oh, what do you reckon? Should we just fill this place up here with lights and we'll ask some businesses to donate towards it? Yeah, and um, we'll call it the you know Catherine Christmas lights." brought to you by the, the businesses of Catherine, you know, just to say thank you to yeah. the people of the town. So the first year we did that, um, you know, I think we had 40 or 50 businesses donate a few hundred bucks each, you know. So we went to Mod 10 and bought a heap of Christmas lights and, and yeah. we set up that little um, market grounds in the town with with lights and as people walk in, we had some lolly bags for them and we just, yeah. you know, come in, sit down, have a look around. We had a couple of food vendors come and and then from there it snowballed to the point where people wanted to be a part of it, um, especially businesses, but they didn't want to donate to um, – like we would, we were running it through the shop just as a – you know, because people wanted an invoice, so yeah, yeah, it made life difficult. So then I had to start an association for this thing. So yeah. we went, all right, well, we'll start the, the KCPA, the Catherine Community Projects Association. So we fired up this association um, and then from there it's just snowballed, you know. the It just doesn't end. Like you, you just – can, there's so much you can do for the town um, and it's all there available to you. You've just got to make the time to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, between school holiday programs, uh, so the shop runs school holiday programs where we take kids fishing on the gorge and stuff like that and yeah. then the association also does, um, you know, movie nights for kids after hours um, on the Oval. We do all sorts of different things with that. Um, and then the... The KCPA snowballed to where a mate and I were having a having a beer and a laugh and we said, what if we got a train and drove a train around the streets? <laughs> was Catherine. And he looked at me and he just went, you know, buy a train, mate, are you? <laughs> I was like, oh, look, who knows, you know. And um, there's a real, couple of really nice houses not far from our little light display and we wanted to be able to take people from our light display to theirs. And this train popped <laughs> up in, um, in Darwin for sale. Um, Facebook Marketplace, yeah, mate. Marketplace. marketplace. <laughs> I asked them if they accept pay ID. <laughs> but no, they, uh, yeah, this little train popped up and is actually um, going to be used for a while there to ferry people from the Darwin waterfront out to the um, wharf. Yeah. Um, and bring them back and forward. Anyway, it never got off the ground. So we, we scored this train um, and I drove up. I did a couple of runs. I just picked it up, picked up the, the little, it's a little Suzuki Stockman. Yeah, yeah, and it's actually it was built by Darwin Bus Service by a um, a panel beater back in the day. He just built this thing into a complete train, like it's absolutely. It just looks like a little train. It's amazing. <laughs> um, it's a proper '80s style thing, you know, where um, someone you know wasn't going to sue you if they tripped and fell yeah, on something, you yeah. know, and that that's a big big hurdle that we had to overcome. But we got this train back. It was in way worse shape than we expected. <laughs> we As all things from marketplace, mate, honestly, <laughs> we lifted the the yeah the hood on this thing, and we had a mechanic come, an old retired mechanic, um, Doug Glasson, and he just looked at it and he went, "What have you done, boys?" <laughs> <laughs> so he spent uh, he spent four weeks pretty much nonstop um, of his own time for us to rebuild this thing to get it running um, by Christmas, and then. We also got um, two trailers came with it. And again, local businesses in town, um, you know, Pete from PRF, he just stripped them things out, rebuilt them. Jeff Usher put new seats all over them and they just turned out smick. We had a guy paint them 
And by the end of it, um, mate, we decorated this thing and we were driving a train around the streets of Catherine <laughs> with roads closed and and, a, and 20 people in these trailers. Like, It just reminds me of just old school. Like when I grew up in Catherine, we had street parties and stuff, you know, yeah. like um, – you go. They'd shut half the main street off. Yeah, and you'd walk down the streets, and there'd be just different things going on, and it just had that old school feeling about it. And it's still possible to do all that stuff. It's just a lot of work. Yeah, and and I'm lucky. I'm surrounded by a couple of people who I just come up with these batshit ideas, but they're the people who have to implement them. It's all that paperwork yeah, that's yeah. got to be done, and the liability, mate. You know, these days people are just looking to sue you for anything that they can yeah. you know so you've just got to cover yourself in every single way possible you know you want to do something good for the community put on this thing but then someone will come up and say yeah right oh well what happens if someone bumps their head on that thing and it's like well they're an idiot aren't they <laughs> but it's no no you're liable for that and it's like oh man it makes it doesn't. difficult it yeah. does makes it really difficult mate you know and it, and it stops a lot of people from wanting to do um little things like that for the town, you know? And that that's just even just talking, like obviously I've seen a lot of, lot of your stuff on, on socials and that, but um, just talking to you now, like just even sort of cements it even more is that people want to do things. They want to do things for the community, but off, quite often it's um, they're not sure how to do it or, you know, like like you say, there's there's all these little different roadblocks that come up and they're not, you know, not not really 100% um, sure on how to go about things. So it sounds like certainly in... in um, for Catherine, like you're sort of like the glue that holds it all together. So, you, you know, you get the idea and you, and you set it up, but then you've got all these other businesses they want to help, they want to be involved in it. But, um, you know, it just takes like someone like yourself to get in there and actually get things actually started. And then once you get it started, then all these other people sort of follow you. And yeah, we get the ball rolling. But as like you know, as I said, there's there's a team of people behind me, um, and they don't they don't like me to to mention who they are or anything like that. But they put yeah. in. They, they stay up till, you know, midnight, 1am, sending me photos of the paperwork they're doing yeah. for permits oh. and and stuff like that, you know, because – and and we'll, we'll hit roadblock after roadblock after roadblock and, yeah. and you just – you find ways around it and you make it happen. But without those people, like, my ideas just would never happen. They yeah. just don't go anywhere, you know. We we, we threw a street party again this year um, – or sorry, last year, 2023, I said to um, – when game that association, I was like, well, why the hell is there not a street party anymore? Yeah. So we shut a road and we had a street party. And yeah. We had <laughs> it's food all doable. vendors. And yeah. yeah, it is, mate. You know, I mean, you, you engage with the RAF base. We had a, um, a freaking bomb disposal robot there. You yeah. Delivering like, <laughs> drinks. Yeah. We had, literally had the RAF base there, mate, with a, with a bomb disposal robot. Oh, but, wow. Yeah. I suppose for, for, for people that don't know, say, um, Catherine's a, a town, what, 7,000, 8,000 people, something yeah, like that? Yeah, roughly, yeah. Uh, and then, but just out of Catherine, you've got Tyndall Air Force Base, which is now is huge. Like, it's just gone through massive expansion. It's still, still getting expanded. Still going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, so we've got obviously, um, obviously, uh, Australian Air Force there. But I think they've, they've got a lot of US um, stuff going in there now as well. Yeah, Marines and, and stuff are going in there. And I think they're putting some big bombers in there and stuff. And they've obviously got the F 35s there as well. Um, yep, the F 35, like the Lightning um, yeah, jets. That, yeah, that new fighter jet. Yeah, so that, you know, really good. Um, anytime you have a. You know, Australia Day Awards or whatever it might be in town, you get a flyover of those yep. jets and they're pretty special. Anzac Day, you know, they fly right up the main street and um, yeah. So the town has a good relationship with the with the RAF base. I mean, it's there to support the RAF base as well. But Catherine's such a unique town because there's so much um, industry around it. You know, so it's this, it's the hub of the Big Rivers region. It's got pastoralists, it's got farmers, and then it's got the defence base on top of that yep. as well. It's you know, it's the main um, sort of intersection for your westbound road as well yeah so, yeah 
you know, everything has to come through there and it's just a um, – it's got to service so many people. So it – it's 7,000 people and then during the dry season it's 30,000 people. Yeah. You know, like it's a, um, it's a swelling little town. And, yeah, so we lean on the RAF base to come along to, to those sort of things. You know, we had kids in, um, in full bomb disposal <laughs> suits, you know, walking around. <laughs> um, you're showing their mum and dad and the ambulances were there and they had an airport fire truck and, yeah, just all that stuff just to try to bring the town together. And it, it, it doesn't cost anything for them to donate time like yeah you know, obviously sorry it costs in the background but uh, you know it's not a it's not a huge um burden yeah it's just that yeah. engagement and it, and it works really well and we have the fireys and, and the ambos as well and it's good to to get them there so the kids can talk to the ambulances they take rides in them and yeah 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 Pretty that's and, and that's that's the sort of thing i suppose like kids remember like i mean because like i like i um, mentioned earlier like I, I grew up at port keats and so i used to do um school of the air through catherine yeah. And, like, I remember going there. We used to go there a um, couple of times a year. So you'd go for in-school. So you'd go from, like, again, for people that don't know, like, school of the air is literally my classroom was my bedroom. And then I had a HF radio. Like, these days it's all done over the internet and you can see your teacher. And then on the, like, when I was a kid, there was literally HF radio. I had to go out and had a sinker tied to a bit of wire and I had to throw it over a tree branch. That was my aerial <laughs> for the HF radio. And, and then you couldn't use the HF radio sometimes because, like, that was the, you know, the military were using, doing yep. the exercise because they do exercises down around that Bradshaw, yep. which is not that far from Port Keats. So, yep. so, yeah, you'd literally get on the radio in the morning and you'd have, like, a 40-minute or something class and you'd have, like... Um, They'd call them clusters. So I was in like the Bonaparte cluster. So you have like me in my bedroom and then like a kid on a station down the road somewhere, like on a cattle station or whatever in his bedroom on, on his bloody HF radio and you'd all, all radio in in the morning and your teacher would jump on there and she'd read your story and go through your, your work modules or whatever. But like um, like going to that uh, RAF base and that when we used to come in for in-school in Catherine, we used to go there twice a year once for in-school where you'd actually go – when everyone else is on school holidays, you actually go in and actually be in a proper classroom with all your all your mates, all the people that you you were in a cluster with that you never got to see because they're seven hundred k's away from you, you know. But you you heard them every day on the radio, so you you sort of mates with them on the radio. Then you get to go and actually be in a proper classroom with them for a week with a proper teacher in front of you and be sort of half normal. And then we did um, swim school as well. So like for a week a year, you'd go there and they'd go to the, uh, the pool there in Catherine and. Do your um, do your swimming lessons and all that stuff, and make sure you're up to date. And then they'd have like a you know uh, sports carnival, and that sort of stuff. But I still remember as a kid going out to um, like the RAF base there, and then getting shown all the stuff, all the aircraft and all the you know same thing, fire trucks and yeah. talking to all the um, all the military guys out there. And like that's something that kids kids remember that stuff, you know. No, and it gets hundred percent, and, and it gets them keen to do stuff it, later on. You it, know, it does, mate. And it gives them good memories of the town as well. You know, like you know, you probably got good memories of getting in the fire trucks and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, just trying to promote that livability and and people don't realise that that school of the air, what that is. Like, you know, there's stations dotted all around the Northern Territory and, and North Queensland and that and all those kids need to learn. Yeah. Um, so they all, every day, they, they go to a schoolroom or a bedroom like, like you had, you know, and they go to school just like every other kid does except, that you know, they're over, over Starlink these days. Yeah. They've got their Wi-Fi and they've got a, um, a classroom there full of kids and, you know, Brad's a young fella. Um, as, when we come fishing out here, you know, there's a young fella that's on School of the Air not far away so we drop him off. Um, he spends a few days with that family and we go fishing, you know. Yeah. They're best mates but they're best mates through School of the Air. Yeah. Um, it's a different world. A lot of people don't realise that that actually goes on but them kids have got to get educated too. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Yeah, and I, I, like, yeah, it'd be hard for some people to comprehend what it's like, but the territories are such a small place, but it's such a big place too. Like, it's um, everyone sort of knows everyone, but it's such big distances. Like, yeah, yeah, on on a station, you you might have two or three kids on a station, might only be one kid on a station. Like you say, they've all got to learn, they've all got to do something, and yeah, like obviously a lot of kids go to boarding school. Like I went to boarding school for high school, but before high school, you still got to, you know, you've got to have that um, that primary education and. And yeah, there's no just no schools there to do it. You know, you just got to no well, back thought, in my um, day. Yeah, no, that's it. Starlink is the is the way to the future. Unfortunately for these kids, that's how <laughs> they've got to that's how they've got to learn. And and yeah, I mean you, that it's a it's a really good system. Like you, you would never know um, that a kid does school of the air unless they tell you. Yeah, you know what I mean. They they probably learn better um, through school of the air than what they do in a classroom because yeah. there's no distractions. Yeah, you know, they're in a room and they're. They've got a, a lot of the stations have, have built specifically a schoolroom, yeah. you know, and they've got a govy there that helps them as well. And so they you know, they get a they get a really good education and um, don't get distracted and, and fall into the some of the holes that you can in, in yeah. town too, you know. So yeah, and you still have that that interaction like 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 I did when I was a kid. You still have that interaction a couple of times a year. You go and you and you still like that the school would organise your your sports carnival and and your swimming stuff and then you know you'd still get to do all that stuff as well, but. Um, um, but you sort of got the best of both worlds, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. No, so, and different you, world. You, you've got kids in Catherine now. Yeah, mate. Yeah, I've got a, a two-year-old girl and a four-year-old boy. Um, and, yeah, the, the young fella just chomps at the bit for the fishing, um, <laughs> which is good. I, I try not to, like, force fishing on him or anything. Like, yep. if he wants to come, he comes. That's good, you know, because the last thing you want to do is jam it down his neck. You know, if he wants to do it, he can do it. Um, so it's, I seem to think that if you um, force someone to do something, they're not really going to do it. Yeah, so, yeah. Just let him make his own decisions on that, and yeah, I'm sort of uh, nervous about uh, being a being a dad as well. Like mm. that's a you know, you think shit, shit I got my kids now, made <laughs> made some people. <laughs> you know, like, you've got to you got to try and put them on the right path now, and yeah, and that a lot of that falls back again to that stuff I do with the associations and stuff. Just trying to set a good example for for you know what you can do, and um, there's if you if you're keen to put in the work and, and your wife doesn't want to divorce you for the for the time <laughs> you spend on stuff then you know you can you can make a bit of a difference here yeah. and there in a few places yeah so it's good yeah that's it mate it seems like you're you're certainly um, getting a lot of things going there so you, your old man first come to Catherine you're saying um, uh, at, to work at Woolies like he was managing Woolies or something yeah when yeah he, first he opened there. that Woolies yeah but um, he used to do guiding as well did he on the yeah bit? yeah so when he when he first um, when he first bought the shop. Um, he would then – he also did a, a guiding business out the Vic, yeah. Mm. So he had a business partner in the guiding stuff and basically he'd get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and he'd drive them out there and they'd, they'd fish all day. They might stay a night out there. Um, Timber Creek, he tells a few stories of what Timber Creek was back in the day. <laughs> um, you know, him, him as a guide um, would pick up the, the punters from the pub at about 3am, you know, and <laughs> take them out on the water and they'd been uh, turning one on the night before at the, the pub. It was pretty loose back in the day by the sounds of it. But, yeah, he um, he ran that quite successfully for a long time. Um, you know, there's no guide businesses left in in Catherine anymore and, and it's purely that um, that effort required. Yeah. Again, you know, like you've got you've to drive them, you know. Like there's plenty of good fishing in Catherine. It's just so seasonal with yeah. the rain. So if you want to go... 
and take someone to catch a, a fish of a lifetime, well, you've got to take them to the Vic, the Robra or the Daly, yeah. which is three hours away. Yeah. Um, and that's why we're the hub of the big rivers. You know, we're, we're right there with all three of them. And MacArthur's, what, nine hours away? Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, he, he ran that quite successfully for a long time and um, just, yeah, got, got too much with the kids and family and that and it shut down and now there's nothing, mate, so. Yeah, mm. it, it is, it's a tough job. Like, I mean... Um, like I, I did guiding for a fair while, um, had a license and, and charter boat and that, and it's a it's a lot harder than people think. Um, it's not like everyone thinks. Oh, just that's the, that's the dream job, you know. Like, yeah, just just go and fishing for a living. Like, it's it's far from it. Like, oh, it's yeah. it's a lot of work, and and again, paperwork, insurances. That's that's the stuff that really really uh, buggers you up. Is um, you know, like for me, certainly it was like insurances and stuff. It just got so expensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, it is a difficult thing to do, and that's why the people that do it now, like um, plenty of good charter companies around Darwin and that, and um, the guys that that do it well, you know, you certainly wouldn't complain about the money you got to pay to go on a charter these days because the amount of stuff that they have to do, like the amount of money that they um, they are spending on insurances and you know boats in survey, and then you know getting inspections. Like years ago when I first started, it, it was like a flat rate for a surveyor to come out because the government had their own, um, Marine Safety Branch had their own surveys. And um, so they'd send somebody out and it was a flat rate whether you're in Darwin or whether you're in Boral, it was a flat rate like 130 bucks or something to get your boat surveyed. Now you've got to, like, the, the government changed it, they, they got rid of all that and now that's, um, we've gone to AMSA, like the, the Australian standard. Now all the surveys that used to work for the government work for themselves and um, you've got to pay them. And, and now instead of paying 130 bucks, you're looking at... You know, several thousand dollars because you got to get them to get from Darwin to here. It's a thousand k's to start with. Yep, yep. And then they, you know, you got to pay for all that, and then, then you've got to pay on top for for the rest of it. So and that's like well, I'm not in that anymore. Um, yeah, no, and you know, the job I get a hint of it when I take my kid fishing. Yeah, I need to change lures. I need to do this. I'm snagged. I'm tangled. And I just, I couldn't be a guide, mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's enough trying to look after one one four year old on the boat. So. No, it is a great. It's a great industry. It was a great. Like I loved it, but um, but yeah, it is difficult if you're not. You've got to go all in on it, you know. And when when um um like the pandemic hit, we had no trade because like our like all of our businesses all, all, all just solely tourism, you know, with, with accommodation and um um hire boat and bloody um fishing charters. Everything was tied up with tourism, and when we couldn't have anyone, we couldn't even have people from Catherine come down. We were in a biosecurity area here. So that sort of, yeah, just wrecked everything sort of thing. So um, I started doing the um, crabbing and that gave us a, um, a steady income sort of thing. So, um, and now I just do that full time and it's easy. You don't have to worry about, um, you don't have to worry about what anyone else is doing is do your own thing, you know, which is which is good. And you're only affected by a bit of rain, I suppose. That, that's it, mate. Yeah, hopefully we get a good wet season. Yeah. That's it. So, um, hey, let's touch on that is um, uh, wet seasons and how important they are. Like we, we've spoken about it a fair bit. Um, but I suppose it's something that um, that people just wouldn't understand. I suppose if you're from down south, or whatever, you might not understand how important those wet seasons are. Certainly for us crabbing, it is. But how important is it in, in the Catherine region? You reckon having them big wet seasons? Yeah. So the, I suppose straight off the bat is that none of us want to see a town flood. Yeah. Um, you know, we don't want to see a, any of these communities get flooded and stuff like that. Um, but a fisherman um, sort of hopes every year that we get big wet seasons. Um, the main reason is like it just swells all those rivers, lets those barra travel up and down. A lot of the time, you know, you'll be fishing a culvert, um, which is just a pipe under the road when it's flooded. 
you'll see those barras swimming upstream. Yep. You know, they, they want to get up into these landlocked areas and stuff like that. So when we get those big wets, it allows them to spread out further, but it also gives the bait time to breed. Mm-hmm. Um, so for those um, sort of resident fish maybe that live in those bigger river systems, they want to just go and gorge themselves on a, on a runoff creek that's full of bait. Um, the only way that that's going to happen is a big wet season fills up a, a, a floodplain, that bait goes up there to breed um, in the runoff season. After the rains are done, well then, you know, hopefully we get those that runoff of bait. But it's a, um, it's a fine line because, you know, we've just had a really good monsoonal system come through now. Yeah. Um, too much in some areas, obviously. We saw yeah. some flooding through the Vic and stuff like that, which we don't sort of like to see. Um, but if we don't get any follow-up rain... It's still – it's not really a, a good wet season. Yeah. Um, you know, to get that initial big run, that, that's awesome. Um, I think just looking at the weather maps now, like it looks like the monsoonal trough's firing up again. They're even yep. talking about a low in the in the gulf out here. Yeah. Um, you know, if we get that, well, then that's going to be a good follow-on from that first rain. It's going to keep those floodplains topped up. It's going to let that bait breed and then we are going to get a good runoff. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it allows those barra to just scatter everywhere, you know, and – you can find barra in places you just shake your head at up some little creek somewhere where they've yeah. just powered their way up into this billabong and and that the only way they do that is through the wet season, eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important like uh, even for, for mud crabs, like people don't realise that like, mud crabs go way out to sea and then they come back in when we've had a good good run. That's when the crabs come back in. If you had a good wet season, then that's you get a lot more crabs that year. Um, same as barra, you know, when there's big wet season, barras breed a lot more because there's more food there, so they breed more. It's just a natural natural uh, thing all right folks so that's part one of the trent dewitt series um all done and dusted uh stay tuned for next week and uh you'll see part two if you want to check his stuff out it's at um rod and rifle tackle world on uh facebook check yeah. that out follow him on socials um check out some of his gear there oh, oh look at that <laughs> guides in the gulf <laughs>